welcome to One Grump or Two, a podcast where two mates chat about music, film, TV, and anything else that's tickled their fancy that week. Enjoy! Hello and welcome to One Grump or Two. Just checking in. How are you doing, Phil? Because I know you've just got off the plane from New York City. Yeah, um, um, I think the, I don't know, this podcast is going to be a warm, cosy pillow for me tonight. <laughs> I'm going to be uh, be resting my grumps quite firmly on this episode. Um, <laughs> yeah, t- tired and a little bit uh, bewildered and befuddled is the uh, is the mental state at the moment. How about you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm I'm really looking forward to this. Excited for this week. Because uh, this week we're going to be doing a little bit of a follow-on from last week, um, an episode that went down quite well. Um, yep. We're looking to to move on from that a bit. And this week we're going to be looking at um, musical choices and uh, likes and dislikes and how that's evolved as we've got into our grump stage. <laughs> yeah. Um, it, it's it's an interesting one because we, we talked about what, what were our formative um, stages? And, and I suppose, you know, people think predictably that one, you know, if your formative music is grunge or punk or reggae or something like that, that that's something that you're going to firmly remain seated with and you're going to uh, maybe get stuck in that, that genre a little bit and maybe just grow with that. But uh Talking from personal experience, I think that's the the very last thing I did. You know, we we talked about my love of punk and Steely Dan and Frank Zappa um, to the point now where I'm I'm quite uh, quite fixated by opera. Wow, which is yeah, which is really a bit of a left turn. Um, I don't think the Clash ever wrote um, anything which could be you know opera-ish, opera-ish. That's not even a real word. Um, or crass didn't do a you know a light overture, so it's 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 a weird thing, you know. And I think I think the the real root cause for that is my fascination with songwriting structure and how people invade our brains with tunes. That mm. you know, and and I suppose the more proficiently written that tune is you know it's very easy to have a, a very very simple tune which catches your mind you know like bar bar black sheep or something like that um but when you get into really complex tune writing it it, it really becomes fascinating for me and, and i think part of it is i think it's equal measures jealousy mm. um that my ability to concentrate whilst writing music would never be able to meet that um and it's just I'm in awe of people that have that vision to write at such scale. Mm. You know, it, it's it, it truly is amazing. But you know, when I say I, I'm fixated by opera, that's that's not the only direction that my taste went into. You know, um, into areas where the traditional punk bands would have been quite offended. You know, I'm a massive Springsteen fan. Mm. Um, never landed on Dylan uh, okay. at all. Never. Um, more about delivery than content. It's you an know, interesting they... one because you said about song structure and, and and form and how things are pieced together, and yet 
Dylan doesn't go on your your not radar, but but your sort of likes list, so to speak, because that man is Purely. one of a film film form and structure. Um, yeah, to the point where songs can go on for ages, and quite frankly, even I go a bit. Come on, yeah. it it's all about presentation for me. Mm. I, I I really really struggle with his voice. Um. It, it's it's obviously not a, a traditional singing voice, you know, but you can compare, compare, you can contrast to people like um, Leonard Cohen or Tom Waits, who don't oh. have traditional singing voices. Yeah. But I find there's easier to digest than Dylan's. There's just, it, I think it's that overly nasal content, which is something that I just don't like. So, you know, maybe maybe it's laziness. Maybe I haven't dug deep enough. But that's about where my limit goes. So, you know, the, the punk took me to heavy metal, um, not day aside and the, you know, the, the deeper, darker side of the, of the metal world. Maybe it's commercial metal. Um, and even into some more popular music. You know, I was in, um, there's a makeup shop in New York called Sephora, which has more than probably got branches around here somewhere. I, I, I don't know. I don't frequent many uh, makeup stores after the last police charge. Um, <laughs> sorry, I had, to, I had to put that one in there. Um, and they were playing a song, excuse me, <clears throat> playing a song on the their in-store, in-store Sephira radio by a band called Fastball, who I'd never heard of before. Hmm. Been going for decades. Obviously, a uh, started off as one of these American college rock or rock pop bands. And they've got a song on their album from 1998 called The Way, which, bloody hell, is really, really, really good. Very melodic, nicely structured. Um, and that's what catches my ear, hmm. things like that. Um, I don't think I've ever veered to the point where I've caught myself and gone, oh, no, we shouldn't be listening to this. <laughs> you know, I think I've always had that that reality check somewhere. You know, I've I've, I've never been to a Steps concert. Do you know what? That's really freaky because I was about to say, well, that that during your love affair with Steps, you you didn't let that go. So yeah, great. Well, night. that that was the that was the previous police charge, which we definitely can't go into. Uh, you know, I, I've been to a, a couple of concerts where I've gone. Am I really here? You know, but more in support of other people. So I I remember oh, maybe the very 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 early eighties take, taking me home to see David Essex. Goodness me. I know, I know. And not so long ago, just pre-pandemic, took it to see Michael Bublé, you know. So um, I, th- I think they, whilst not necessarily in my taste in music, they're definitely more in support of people whose mm. taste they are. Still appreciate them, still appreciate the the, the tracks there. Um, but I suppose the, a lot of my newer music comes fr- fr- from you. You know, I know you consume massive amounts of music every day. Oh, gosh, uh, yeah. And we, and we have this kind of like musical exchange going on, which gives me a lot of my newer stuff. Um, but I suppose it, it, it's gone more, like you said, guitar-based. It's gone more rock-based with some some lighter stuff around the edges. But I don't think, I honestly don't think I've ever caught myself going, nah, it's not for me, not for me at all. So how about you? Yeah, it's, <clears throat> I mean, I, I stuck, stuck guitar-based from, you know, where we sort of left it last week. I guess I I didn't 
really evolve <laughs> strangely <laughs> i guess i diversified in the style of guitar music i like but i didn't i didn't evolve i mean even now i'm probably still stuck in the 90s and noughties yeah some yeah. in the 80s as well um i mean for goodness sake my spotify and rap for last year i was in 0.5 percent top of david bowie listeners i mean for god's sake that wow. just that just says where i am <laughs> my top five artists is like david bowie the beatles um radiohead and i'm thinking yeah stereotype me mm. right there but that's it but, but that's but that's not necessarily a bad thing because i suppose if you if, if your brain settles on something which you feel comfortable with and is quality and hasn't been surpassed then why not continue to listen to it there is that argument, yeah, but at the same time, I'm starting to feel like that stereotypical dinosaur of going, oh, I don't understand modern popular music. And to a point, yeah. I don't. I mean, I, I, like you said, I consume a lot of music. I have it on all day, every day, and, yeah. and I'm always hunting out new stuff and um, trying to break the, the Spotify algorithm when I can because it just serves mm. me up the same stuff daily. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Which is a little infuriating because you end up in this aural bubble of what mm. you like and you only consume yeah. what you like. And, and I start to get a bit fidgety with that. Yeah, that, that's the beauty of the algorithm though, isn't it? It's, you know, if you, if you search for puppies on the internet, then Facebook will give you lots of reels about puppies. Yeah. And that it, it's, the, it's the comfort algorithm. It's certainly not a challenge. I've never designed to be that way. No, and there, there is a pleasant feeling to that, is that you know you're mm. going to be served music that you you tend to enjoy. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I've always, mm. through my youth, tried to seek out something that's a bit different. That said, it's different guitar-based. Um, when I was at college and at uni, the type of club I'd go to was... In, in Liverpool, I'd go to the L2 on a Saturday night because it was indie night. Yeah. Um, I'd go to the Crazy House on a Thursday and a Friday night because oh, yeah, it had the K2, which was yeah. your Indian alternative. It had punk, it had metal, it had everything. So I could go between all those floors and just consume and, and digest all this fantastic guitar music. Um, <clears throat> you know, one minute I could be dancing to Nine Inch Nails Mm. him trent reznor saying what he wants to do to someone like an yeah. animal um yes please thank you. um and then pop upstairs and be dancing around like a loon to song two from blur um and that that yeah. was beautiful that that's just such a fun thing to do um but i i sort of wonder if i've been stuck in that bubble because the bands i've seen in the past year are the darkness <laughs> Div yeah, divine yeah. comedy um, yeah. <clears throat> tickets are out this week uh for noel gallagher i'm probably going to get yeah. those um yeah the yeah. break of the norm for this year for me is going to see harry styles and that's that's not my yeah. choice um mm. <clears throat> but mm. yeah I, do. I think you protest too much there well apparently he's the new david bowie but i failed to see that um, i think that is highly questionable oh gosh so do i but I, I'm interested to see that because there are songs, it, genuinely, there are songs of his that I think are really good. Yeah, totally. Um, off totally. his first solo album, there's some really good, really good stuff on there that, that yeah, blew me away. But yeah, can, I just, can I just throw a grump in there? Go for it. Okay. Um, go back. Or let, let's use Bowie as an example. Let's use the Beatles as an example. Before they were 
massive. Okay. They had all recorded songs which pretty much survived in the structure that they were written in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, then came the producer and the producer then expanded upon that mm -hmm. and, and changed them somewhat, but they still have hits in their catalog that were pre-producer mm -hmm. and, you know, for, for Tony Visconti or for, for the Beatles, George Martin, but bands, bands, artists like Harry Styles, yes, there are some really, really good songs out there, but they are heavily produced. Okay, yeah, if you look um, at the track listings, it's there's like five or six, sometimes even more people involved in one track. Yeah. And and that's my and that's my grump is if you were to strip away those production elements, those those producers, those people that add to it, would that song sound the same or have the same merit as it does? And and you know, being grumpy, I'm I'm leaning towards no, it wouldn't. No, and I, um, I totally agree with you. And I think that's one episode that we're going to have coming up is 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 about producers. Um, but you could say it about anyone, uh, production wise, is you've got um, Mark Ronson. Yeah, God, you can tell his stuff a mile away. And oh, and Bruno Mars, you know, Bruno Mars is doing more and more production work yeah. now, and you can tell his stuff a hundred thousand miles away. Yeah. You know, it, it, Bruno Mars is, um, I don't know, I think he's hes the saccharine version of Prince. <laughs> Prince Light. You know, he, yeah, he so desperately wants to be Prince. He so desperately wants to be there, but just hasn't got the, hasn't got the skill, you know. But then pro him. producers can bring value. You, you mentioned Tony Visconti there. Um, sorry, mm. sorry, dear listener, we have completely gone off on tangent here, but but indulge us well, if no, you because will. It, because it because it's it's it actually it keeps us on track because it it is forming why we go back to artists that we're comfortable with because when when the producer became you know producers were George Martin no. Spectre was more than probably the first major successful uh, yeah. producer, you know, with the, with the wall of sound. Then moving into George Martin. Um, then Steve Lillywhite through the, the punk era. And beyond. You know, the, and beyond. Yeah, and beyond. And beyond, yeah. You know, the, there's been a lot of very, very talented producers, but now producers are almost members of the band. The song doesn't get written without a producer. Oh, God. It, you... <laughs> Guitar based to a point. I'll, I'll circle back to this one because it comes into my taste yeah. evolution, so to speak. Is um, Nigel Godridge for uh, yeah. Radiohead? I mean, he's produced virtually every album, bar a couple. Um, yep. But that is the, the other member of the band. Like, is George Martin the fifth Beatle? Um, something we'll hopefully touch on next week. Um, TBD. Um, we got that. Yeah, but it, look at Nigel Godridge without him would the sound of radiohead exist probably to point but he's so heavily involved and and even with tom york stuff but the nigel godrich stuff that came that, that i absolutely love is the um we album by arcade fire which i've i bought on vinyl because i just think it's such a superb piece of work the whole yeah. thing is is like a modern day rock opera and it probably People will hate that phrase with it, but it is absolutely brilliant. But Nigel Godrich is all over that and, and welcomingly so. And he produced, in my eyes, one of the greatest Divine Comedy albums, Regeneration, which went, they just had two spectacularly big albums of this Divine Comedy sound, 
and then released yeah, yeah. Regeneration, which is just not the Divine Comedy, yeah. but is some of their greatest songs. But it's 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 okay, Computer by the Divine Comedy mm. because yeah, the production yeah. is so similar in, in points. But yeah, so so sort of going back to that is that yeah, producers do have a lot of clout in in the modern day, but that's so and so featuring what's his name and doodah what's it and thingy and that that's where i i lose it but but coming yeah. back to evolution of taste is that it might be why i hark back but there is still stuff being produced today i think is fantastic but you're right from your perspective in that the songwriter is less there in, in the room so yeah. to speak is it's more yeah. the producer um which can be no bad thing on occasion, but can be overkill on many occasions. Mm. Again, Ozzy Osbourne won the Grammy this week for his album. Yeah. That's more producer than it is Ozzy Osbourne. I, I, I don't, I question Touch, well, how totally, much of an involvement totally. Ozzy really had totally. on that. Um, totally. And you've got Duff McKagan on bass, you've got Slash on guitar, you've got Chad Smith on drums. In, yeah, it, there's this sort of little supergroup forming in the rock world, yeah. and Duff and Chad Smith seem to be at it quite a lot. But um, yeah. yeah, so that is a case of producer um, making these hits. Um, yeah, and I wonder as well as <clears throat> one of the things that I've noticed is that producers not only bring a feel, but they actually bring a theme. Mm. So if you if you put on most U2 albums, you'll know it's a U2 album. Sadly. Okay. Um, same with The Who, same with Radiohead, same with, <clears throat> excuse me, Dire Straits. Any, mm. any band that has a modicum of success, you know it's that band, by the way. Listen to it. So there's, a, there's this um, record producer called Max Martin. Mm-hmm. Um, don't believe there's any relation to the, to the, the no. late great George. Uh, and his... His tally of songs, which in inverted commas he's produced because he has writing credits on all of them, yeah, Um, is astounding. You know, and and I'm not going to say that many of them are what I would say were quality songs. Mm. You know, it's not my musical taste. But you you start to see that they're all starting to blend together. Mm. So, you know, his, his first one is Baby One More Time by Britney Spears, which I think yeah. is a god-awful song. I, I I just, oh, God, it leaves me cold. But then he's done a load of work with Katy Perry as well. Yeah. Um, and all the Katy Perry stuff, to me, sounds the same. Yeah. Yeah. And and that might be a grump. You know, that's, uh, it, that's, it, I would say it is a grump. <clears throat> Let's tick that as a as a grump. But then he goes and works with Maroon Five mm. on a track called One More Night and makes Maroon Five sound like Katy Perry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, load of work with Taylor Swift, load of work with Pink and The Weeknd, and even <laughs> I up up to My Universe by Coldplay and BTS. Okay. Now that's where I draw the line, you know. Coldplay were are one of those bands. Remember we did an episode where we said should they have called it quits? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Coldplay, please call it quits. Um, you have written some insanely, and I mean insanely fantastic songs. You truly have time to stop, lads. It, That's all I'll say. I, I had a similar little grumpy rant today in the car because listening to XFM, 
and um, one of their early songs, I can't remember which song it was, and I think Viva La Vida came on later as well, but it might have been, uh, God put a smile on the face, it, it might have been that one, but I just, yeah. <laughs> I just out of habit, just went, oh, this is when Coldplay were good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, 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 they've... They've taken the U2 curve and accelerated it. They they really have. They that my my good friend said to me, he messaged me one day and he went, Well, I've got a soft spot for them and I've got a soft spot for you too. I would say that Coldplay are the U2 of our generation. That's like a fair uh, play, actually. <laughs> to, to, totally, 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 totally. Right. So before we go veering off too far, let let's have a look then if if we look at where our music uh direction took us, where where we went. Uh, and what we started to to love based on where we started from is there is there a band that you can put your finger on in the past maybe five to ten years which has reignited um your passion for your music you know you know if if we're listening to the same stuff a lot of the time that's comfort yeah and there's a set there's only so much passion you can have in comfort Every now and again, you need something that really gives you a good welly and makes you go, you know what, that is what it's all about. So, so is there a band instead of like, and it'd be multiple bands if you want, but but something in the past five or ten years which has made you go, yeah, that's it for me. Uh, I have paused, dear listener, because I'm struggling. Um, I don't, I goofa for, uh, for, I don't know. Um, okay. That there are to put. I mean, to say I dismiss all, all modern music is a bit of poop, really, because there are artists that I do like, and you've you are going to lay into me for what I'm about to say. No, there is a modern artist, and you've mentioned that person's name just just previously. If it's Britney Spears, <laughs> the podcast ends now. <laughs> <laughs> um. Oh, Phil, you're just so toxic. <laughs> um, no, it's it's Taylor Swift. Uh, you can't beat a bit of T Swift. You can't beat Swifty. The reason being is that in my in my old grumpy age, I look forward to an album because I don't know what it's going to be. Yeah, because she changes yeah. style so frequently, and yeah. that I admire. Um, Evermore um, and the, the, the follow-up album, I think, are two absolutely fantastic albums. Yeah. They're really, and, and really I, great. But that's what music taste is about. It's it's not about snobbery. It's not about putting up a garden fence and saying, thou shalt not pass. Uh, it, it's uh, the, the Dave Grohl quote for that one is the best. He goes, "Have I, he was interviewed and they said, what's your guilty pleasure? And he goes, I, I don't have a guilty pleasure. What, why should a pleasure be guilty? If it's a pleasure, yep, embrace yep. it and enjoy it. Don't make it guilty. Totally, um, and totally, and that, totally. that's something I started to live by. Heck, I like Taylor Swift. Yeah. <laughs> My yeah, name's no, Daniel no, no, and I'm a Swiftaholic. <laughs> <laughs> it's something to do about the legs. I can't help myself. Um, yeah, I, th- I, I think for me, uh, and this is, as you know me, this is, this is going to be very, very predictable, but it's Queens of the Stone Age for me. It's it's mm. that ability as a band to transform and mutate and welcome in new members um, and pull influence from those members, but still remain a core. Um, then reach out and become part of 
other musical movements. So um, if you look on at the work that um, Josh Hom or Homme, whichever way you want to pronounce it, did with Trent Reznor from Nine Inch Nails and Dave Grohl. Um, Post-pop depression it, with Iggy Pop. Exactly. And then what was the name of that um, desert soundtrack, desert po- playlist the, he did? Desert Sessions. The Desert Sessions. I was halfway there, so I'm doing quite well. Um, Living on a prayer. It's just, yeah, it's just for me that, you know, when, when you look at Queens of the Stone Age, their writing, their song structures, their chord progressions that they use are sublime. And I know they're not the most gifted musicians or songwriters, and I know they can lean back a little bit on you know, punky, grungy sound every now and again, but they have written for me some of the greatest songs, you know, and and that is, they are the single band that have reignited more passion for music in the past 10 years for me than any other band. That's really interesting. And and they circle back to what we talk about, the producer element, because Mark Ronson did one of their albums, didn't he? And that yep, is a killer album. That's a really, it is, that's got some is. absolute gems yeah. on it, some really great songwriting. Yeah. But Josh Homme himself as producer, produced the Arctic Monkeys, took them in a completely yeah. different direction. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, a lot of bad blood for that one for some of Arctic Monkeys fans, but I think he did fantastic work with them to move, oh, yeah. move them that way. Well, there's a, there's a lot of bad blood towards Josh Homme in, in total, you know, from, from his... Um, from some of his actions in his private life yeah. to some of his actions towards fans, you know, he's, he's, he's obviously not an easy person. Um, that doesn't excuse anything he's being accused of or has actually done. But at, at the same time, you know, we, we referenced this in episode one, that the, the troubled mind goes with the, the artistic genius. Mm-hmm. And sometimes the more troubled the mind, the greater the output, the greater the, you know, the, the quality. But, for me, you know, if you look at um, Villains, of, Villains of Circumstance, which I think is their last album from 2015, you know, it's just some of the tracks on there are just incredible. Mm. And, you know, they, they, they are, they will actually stop me. If I'm doing something, I will actually stop mm. to listen to those songs, which is which is quite a good feat today in this day and age. Um Will you let me digress for a second? Of course. The floor is yours. Thank you. Thank you. Um, One of the things about trying to start up a podcast uh, is we pick our theme music. um, We we pick our topics. We pick the the layout the way we want to present things. And and sometimes, you know, we we hit it on the nail. You know, we we've we've got our flow now. Um, But I think one of the things that we've wanted to do is kind of like expand the podcast a little bit so one of the things that we wanted to do was actually start to invite guests on and and it's not something that's going to be every week there'll be a guest we're inviting people on who we think can actually create a conversation now this may be over one episode or two episodes depending on the subject and depending on how it flows you know there are days when me and Dan don't feel like talking. I'm sure there's days that guests don't feel like talking and it, and it's our responsibility to make sure that we get enough out of the guests to make it interesting for you to listen to. So with uh great Herald, um, no, no trumpets. Okay. So let's... <laughs> thank you. Uh, um, we've got our first guest and I'm very, 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 very excited about this. 
but nowhere near as excited as Dan is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, my God, I'm getting my geek on. This is, um, I think this is the equivalent to, you know, if you ever have kids, there's that, there's that Christmas when they suddenly realize what Christmas is all about. Mm-hmm. And they go from being, you know, slightly excited to sugar-driven lunatics running down the stairs going, ah, open everything up. So, uh, in two episodes' time, uh, our plan, that's episode six, our plan is that we're going to be joined by a gentleman called David Bedford. Now, David is a world-renowned Beatles historian, author, and filmmaker from Liverpool. Um, David's list of uh, credits from the things that he's done is, um, yeah, I think I'm just going to say <laughs> mighty impressive. <laughs> yes. Um, yes, yes. <laughs> it is, you know, we are... We will be, you know, five episodes into this pod- podcast by the time that David joins us. Um, so if there's anything that you think might add to our conversation with David, then send it in, hit the socials, hit the email address. Um, but this is really exciting for us. You know, D- Dan, how, how did it, how did the news come across to you? Um, I, I think I yelped actually yelped <laughs> with excitement um it, it's it's to to me i the oh god there's no one like the beatles really they they're just i i every day i listen to them i i they they they're a lot to me i mean that it's one of the yeah. reasons i went to university in liverpool um yeah. it, it it's the whole history of it it's everything um i yeah. i've read about it so much i scour it I, I absorb it. It's everything. So yeah, yeah, to land this one was a bit like, ah, <laughs> was probably the noise I made a kid in a sweet shop yeah. and then some, um, yeah. but yeah, it's, I, I'm really looking forward to that. And, and we've started thinking some, some questions and topics that we can run through. Um, and like Phil says, if you, if you guys can take to our socials, email us and just give us some ideas as well. Um, we'll, we'll throw them into the, into the interview. Cause it's just, yeah, I, I've got lots going through my head. Um, at yeah. four o'clock in the morning, I had questions going through my head. Um, you've mostly got enough going through your head for a series of episodes. As opposed to, <laughs> yes. To, you know, a, a part one and a part two. Oh, and, uh, gosh. And I think the, the, the thing that I like, you know, it, it's difficult when you start off a podcast, it's difficult to, I suppose reaching out to guests is a little bit like a job interview mm. because all you've got is what's it behind you. And at that point it was three episodes, um, which had got technically better and the flow had got better, but that's still a CV for us. Yeah. Um, and it was just the, the way that we contacted them. It, it was our language. It was, it was a few funny lighter moments in the, in the invites to join the show. And, and, and my hope, and I know Dan's hope as well, is that this leads on that David then opens up the floodgates for people to say, you know what? We had a, an interesting conversation that I will appear as well, because for me, whilst Dan is, um, you know, a mad Beatles fan, the element of David that, that I want to talk about is his filmmaking. Mm. You know, and this is where the, the podcast will start to open up. And, you know, we it won't take away from the core lunacy of us grumping about things. And, you know, we haven't actually been that grumpy. So, you know, there's going to be a, a grumpy question from me about the Beatles. Um, and I know that Dan and David will mostly go, really? But that's the show, you know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's great that we've got um, 
that, that we're going to be talking about the Beatles, because to me that's one of the things that evolved in my musical taste. So circling back, yeah, it's yeah. I was a Beatles fan. Yeah, I mean, sure. God, who wasn't? Um, but yeah, yeah, you, yeah, me, sorry, yeah, 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 you're wrong. Um, totally, I, I, I freely <laughs> admit that, that at the point that I wasn't a Beatles fan. I was neither right nor wrong because I didn't have enough education. But as I got old and I got the education, I was wrong. You know, I, I, I didn't, I, I was never rude about the Beatles, but I, I never listened to them because I wasn't, I, I just didn't put enough effort in. Mm. Um, and sometimes you do have to put effort into music. That's it. And I mean, the, the Beatles is, is one of those ones for me that, um, evolved out of my guitar music because my guitar music love was pretty heavy stuff um for the yeah, time and yeah. the beatles were always a bit Ooh, you know <laughs> for my liking but then i yeah, discovered yeah. post sergeant pepper's beatles and i was like oh hello oh i'm liking yeah, this yeah. and the late beatles i yeah. think are just absolutely fantastic um yeah and the funny one about musical um going back to music development as, a, as an individual is <laughs> I used to love the late Beatles, yeah, and that evolved yeah. as I got older. And then it was a case of, yeah, John Lennon's a god, isn't he? John Lennon's fantastic. And then as I got older and older, I'm like, hang on. Yeah. He's not a nice yeah. man. <laughs> and his stuff's not that great. And what's that with Yoko screaming in the background? Uh-huh. Yeah. And then I, it, I, don't, I don't want to say matured, but it evolved into, I think Paul McCartney had it. <laughs> I think he had yeah, something. Was it Rick Rubin that said last week that uh, Paul McCartney's the greatest bass player he's ever worked with? <laughs> well, have you seen any of the Disney Plus uh, Rick Rubin and Paul McCartney documentary? I haven't yet. No, no it's no. great to watch. Just two old yeah. grumps again, but yeah, going yeah. through the reels of music, to doing all the faders and stuff and listening to yeah. to isolated parts of the track. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, and it's just two musicians. I say musicians. Paul McCartney's a musician. Rick Rubin has openly admitted he don't know anything <laughs> about music. He just he just yeah. knows something. He doesn't. He can't use faders. Or he just technically uh -huh. he, no. He's not there. But yeah. um, he's done all right though, even with his limited understanding. He's done very well for himself, <laughs> hasn't he? Just <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that, I just thought that was you know as we're looking into talking about the Beatles, it's just that's been quite a development in my musical taste circling back to what we originally started yeah. talking about. Um, yeah. So yeah. I went to uh, about five years ago, somebody will correct me on this. There was a, an exhibition at the Liverpool museum. Uh, it's the one on the, uh, on the docks, the mm. sideways triangle. And it was about John Lennon and Yoko Ono, uh, predominantly about John Lennon, obviously. And I went along, not as a Beatles fan, but more to try and understand about him. Mm. And it was absolutely fascinating. Um, the only thing I've got to say is Yoko Ono. Ah, shush. Shush. Shush, love. You know, I'm, I'm sure you inspired John Lennon to write some, some nice songs and some very, very good songs. But shush you've got you've got nothing acoustically to add and and even if you take away the elements that 
of her voice that appear on tracks that you know um she's on war is over if you if you take her away from that it doesn't detract from the song one little bit so um a bit like linda mccartney and wings turn the microphone off the one grump or two podcast would like to thank you for listening that was part one where two grumps talk about some music this is part two where two grumps are going to talk about some film tv and some other things so relax sit back Yeah, so we're going to move on to um, our TV and film now. Something interesting this week. Okay, so not watched The Last of Us yet because the hotel didn't have HBO Max. Never stay in there again. How disgraceful. <laughs> um, <laughs> I suppose I was on holiday, so I shouldn't be watching the telly. Yeah, whichever way around you want to look at it. Um, Megan. Now, I don't know... I don't know whether we pronounce it Megan or M3 Gan, um, because that's the way it's written. It's a bit like pronouncing seven, you know, mm. seven N. Oh, we're not talking about Harry's wife. Okay. Oh, no, we're not going there. This is, this is not that kind of podcast where we pay any attention to people like that. Um, yeah, so it's a, it's a um, sci-fi stroke horror. Hmm. Uh, about uh, a woman who's a, an advanced robotics engineer whose sister and husband die in a car crash, leaving her with a, a, an 11-year-old, 10-year-old uh, niece who she has very little connection with. One of the projects that this uh, robotics engineer is working on is uh, she works for a toy company, but she is working on a side project, which is a... Um, which is this Megan. And if I could remember what the acronym was for, I would have been paying way too much notice of the script. <laughs> but effectively, it's this life-size robotic uh, person replacement companion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, with a very, very advanced AI. Um, first thing I'll take on bridge with is, you called this a horror. <laughs> okay. Please, film producers and film directors, please look up the word horror, okay, when you're making your films <laughs> and writing your scripts and approving which ones get made. And if it doesn't make you jump or make you go, oh, no, it's not a bloody horror, okay? It was about as scary as a children's ride in Euro Disney, okay? It wasn't a bad film, but it wasn't a good film. You know, I I looked at my phone quite a lot. Oh, it's gonna gosh, get a. It's gonna get a. Screen. It's gonna get a four. It's gonna get a four. It's it's gonna get a four. But that was because there was. I knew that there was nothing coming that was gonna make me go. Ah, you know, mm. if if reference back to Barbarian that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, I didn't pick up my phone because I was so I was actually transfixed to the screen because I didn't know. Mm what was going to happen next in the film. Yeah. This is very, very linear and very, very predictable to the point where you know how they're going to do the sequel five minutes into the film, or maybe oh, 10 minutes into gosh, the film. No. De definitely, definitely within the first act, you know how the sequel is going yeah. to be going to be put there. Um, some of the special effects in it were bizarre. 
how they how they did the face of this um robot whatever you want to call it 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 just looked like it was they had some kind of filter on the special on the CGI that said do melty face <laughs> 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 the, 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 the face and and, the, and this apologies in advance if anybody you know or you listening has had a stroke okay that is not funny in any way shape form or fashion okay but this robot looked like it had a stroke <laughs> and you know you think to yourself come on lads Anybody with a, a reasonably powerful computer nowadays can do cinema quality CGI. Mm. The packages are all there. The filters are all, you can buy all the filters you want. There's no excuse for it. Okay. So overall, you got a four screen, no jumps, no real violence, nothing at all. Okay. So watch it, enjoy it. I, I would have said it should be a, a 12, but it's a 15. Don't know why, okay? Mm. From a TV point of view, it's a little bit older now, uh, and it's something that got me through the flight on the way back. Stanley Tucci looking for Italy. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, my word. Love Stanley Tucci as an actor. Mm-hmm. Think he, I think he is really, really top-notch. But this whole idea of him being, he's, he's Italian on, uh, on his mom and his dad's side this whole thing of him going round the 20 regions of Italy, yeah, looking at the food, the history of the food. Yeah, I got off a plane after watching several episodes <laughs> wanting to just eat anything that was edible. <laughs> um, it was it was it was all about passion. It, mm. it, it reminded me a little bit of uh, somebody feed Phil, which is on Netflix. Yes. yeah, yeah. Um, there, there, there are two guys obviously coming from different spectrums of the, of the food, you know, love, but that, but their passion there, their true drive was just so visible. So anybody that feels like watching programs about food getting made and, you know, punishing themselves because they're on a diet or, you know, engorging themselves because that's, they want to eat, watch Stanley Tucci. Uh, I'm not quite sure I get it because it was a CNN production. So it might be worth just having a look on your your local castings. If you can't get Stanley Tucci, get somebody feed Phil on Netflix. Equally as good. I think the Tucci thing is on BBC iPlayer or was because that's where I'm right. sure I found it, and that's why I went and bought his book. Yeah, excellent, yeah. excellent, good recommendations, and because because truly that that passion and and because he he's, he's very very well spoken because he can speak Italian because because he makes that connection with the people it it just comes out. Um, Apart from that, I've obviously not had a chance to catch up on a lot of films. I'm off to watch episode four of The Last of Us now. Um, the encouraging thing about The Last of Us is that what we've seen so far is a is an increase in quality after every episode, oh. which is great. God, um, we've also seen an increase in we, – we only get the, the American viewer figures, but the audience has increased every week as well. Which is really good. It's because it's so good. You, we spoke yeah. on the last one about episode three. You've you've also texted me about it and given me the warning. Nothing could have prepared me for that episode. 
No, and and it was, you know, spoilers ahead, serious, serious spoilers ahead. You know, if you need to leave us now, we won't be offended. But the the, the, the curve that that episode took you on, I, I don't think I've seen another TV show manage that no. in, what, an hour and 10, no. an hour and 15? I, I just don't think anyone. I think I think some shows have come close to doing part of it. Um, but you know, Breaking Bad's been been really good with extreme emotions at times, but I don't think any show's ever done that entire journey. I I still play it over in my head, and I can't get to grips with with it because it was just, I it, that was a no screener for me. Oh, because oh, totally. it was just it was perfection yeah. that that love story was amazing and the fact they got two comedic actors to do it gave it that reality i suppose yeah because yeah. they didn't go into it as strict strict actors so to speak that the yeah, method yeah, behind yeah, yeah, it yeah. that yeah there was some humanity behind it and yeah it was just well, one straight one gay actor playing it and it was just it was just superb. I've it was. I mean, you had the sort of leading of the the actual Last of Us thread of you know him and her, but mm-hmm. then this this story evolved of these two guys and and the love story behind that. And <laughs> I listened to the Linda Ronstadt song. It came up on Spotify. Oh, yeah. It came up on Spotify. <laughs> Spotify hates me because I was working and I had my headphones and it came and I just went. <laughs> Yeah. Um uh, but it's I I I'm speechless because it was just beautiful is yeah, the word I, to I think, describe it. It, uh, yeah. it was just so well directed, the script was great, the acting was on another level. Mm. But but when the ending started to happen for for them and that that episode, oh good lord, I I couldn't yeah. see the screen because I was I I I was crying, bawling my eyes out. I'm yeah. not. I'm not afraid or ashamed to say it. I was lost. It just absolutely yeah. choked me. Absolutely. Mm. I, I think from a from a storytelling point of view, the actual level of attention to detail was astounding. Yeah. The, the the fact that their last meal, <clears throat> excuse me, was also their first meal, mm. and the fact that he adjusted the plate mm. to the angle that that he adjusted it to. It, it, when they sat down for the first time yeah. together, um, but but then that that middle section where the compound was attacked was was just another level. It was it was balls out action. There, there was no other way of of describing it, and it was it, it showed how not only not only how much Nick Offerman's character loved his partner, but the level of protection he'd actually mm. put around him yeah the fact that there were landmines and fire cannons and electrified fences just to protect that mm. love and I, I just thought that was truly amazing and then when joel you know rides into town mm. you know you, you could you could feel and, and this is this thing about pedro pascal you know for somebody he, he snuck up on the outside he's yeah. like that horse yeah, he's like that horse that just kind of like is, is cantering along until the final furlong and then just puts his foot down and goes past everybody. Uh, he is. He's an astounding actor. There's a, there's a moment where they he realises that 
that the characters are dead in the house and he and he's holding this 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 note mm. that was left for whoever found them and he doesn't start to cry but the anguish mm. and the pain and the sorrow is just writ all over his face without him crying yeah and you, th- you think to yourself many 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 other actors would have resorted to falling to their knees or crying or you know doing the um will and defoe arms up why me <laughs> the dashier for strings you know, in the background yeah yeah and, and and what he did in that moment of of quiet was way more human mm. and i actually felt that that surpassed acting i i actually think that that was that for me i honestly believed him in that moment yeah. and that's very rare with acting because you know you know it's people telling you a story and it's incredibly rare that you actually completely buy into that emotion at that moment but he did that and and to 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 look at his his building canon of work now is astounding. You just sit there and go, I'm going to take 10 years ago. Where was he? Isn't it Buffy the Vampire Slayer? Um, Game of Thrones. His first role was in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Would you was believe it? <laughs> Do you believe it or not? What, as one of the whisperers or as, something? As a vampire. Um, no. Yeah, <laughs> Google it. <laughs> oh, my God. Google it, yeah. found that out this week. Yeah. Well, I, I think he's, he's in the Joel role now for... For many, many, many years, um, I hope won't be getting replaced. I hope they don't Walking Dead it because that I lost. I can't remember which season I abandoned, but yeah. it, it just all went I, a bit too weird and cheesy, and just. Yeah. Yeah. I think the the Walking Dead made the mistake. Oh, if I get this name wrong, I'm going to get so much stick now. Uh, Frank Darabond. He he was uh, very very heavily involved in the in the early days of The Walking Dead, and the first three series maybe longer, um, but then fell into a lawsuit with AMC, hmm. and that lawsuit, as far as I know, is still going even though the show's finished. Um, and I think what they did is they took too many liberties with the source material. And whilst it's a worry for me with The Last of Us that they are being almost some it, frame by yeah, frame yeah, for the material. Is, yeah. yeah. As long as the quality remains as high as it is, I can put my concern to one side for mm. that. But The Walking Dead for me, it, it was it had the potential to be one of the greatest shows ever, but just took too many left turns. It was like a it was like a zombie with only one leg, it could only turn left. <laughs> uh, and it and it kept coming back round on itself, and you know I, I stopped watching it after. I must we stopped watching it maybe three or four years ago. About the same for me then, yeah, yeah. And and I watched the last episode just out of interest mm. to see if I'd missed anything, <laughs> to see if I could pick up enough pieces, enough threads to go. Oh, that obviously happened, uh, and. Yeah, I don't think I'd missed anything. I think the only thing I'd I'd missed, and if there's any Walking Dead fans out there, they'll say, no, no, you missed this and this and this. I'll say, fine, fine. But it was the redemption of Negan. Mm. Um, and, and for me, redeeming that character 
is just a it's just a step too far. Yeah. That character was out and out evil and should have been allowed to run amok and do evil things, not become um the replacement to Rick and all that. And it was just yeah. So yeah, you're right. But I don't think The Last of Us will go that way. That the one, there isn't enough material mm. to to make it go that long. Uh, and two, that if they if they can maintain the same director, I, I honestly think that it'd be fine. Part of me hopes it's a two serieser. Yeah, I, I'm not sure how many games there are, um, but the second game is much bigger in scope and scale. Mm. So that I think that's going to give two seasons. There, I read somewhere this week that they think that. Series two will sort of be split into a series two and three is because I've yeah. not played the games, but apparently, right. apparently the the story splits and there are two sides to it. So they think series two would be one side of it and series three would be the other, and then they'll come together for a series four. Okay, that, and that's fine, and that's fine. That, you know, I, I think as long as it doesn't go past, you know, we we can all name TV shows that we love, and we can say, well, it could have finished a season earlier, or you could have taken. 10 episodes out of mm. the middle uh and it wouldn't have changed things what what you know? i'm i'm intrigued now what would your what would series uh what shows would you think that would be for well it's it's a candy floss show okay so it, it may be a show you've never heard of okay but there was a show um called castle yes. which is about a a mystery writer who um started working with the uh, New York Police Department to get ideas for his show. And they basically did the, what they do with all of these lighter shows. The male character falls in love with the female character and they have the the jolly romance banter between each other. It could have finished two seasons earlier. <laughs> Instead, they got married and then there was, you know, all this, you know, one of them gets kidnapped and then there's all danger and blah, 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 boring, 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 boring. They should, they should have just finished it earlier. Game of Thrones... Never watched it, but I watched a bit of the last ep- last series. What a bag of poo! <laughs> Holy cash! You see, I'm one of the minority that really enjoyed it. There are well, co- the last season. There are a couple of episodes in that that are freaking amazing. There's one that I was well, like, or- I really want to see this on the big screen. Okay, okay, maybe we watched different episodes, so I can't compare to the episodes you watched. But holy shit, the, the CGI was done by somebody who wasn't very proficient in CGI. It looked rubbish. And the sound editing, dear God, no, no. <laughs> Consider, what were they spending on that? 50 million an episode? I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I guarantee it was silly money. I know that was the, the, the sort of straw that broke the camel's back for many fans. I've not watched House of Dragon, and I want to and, Ooh, and need no. to. Or that bloody, bloody Lord of the Rings TV show on Amazon. I God, watched. I, gone on long enough. I watched one episode of that, and I've not yeah. gone back to it. Right. Uh, it's it's it really it really yeah. 
Yeah, I, I sat through the first three Lord of the Rings films and it was walk a bit, frown a bit, walk a bit, frown a bit, walk a bit, frown a bit. Oh, look, there's a talking tree. Walk a bit, frown a bit, walk a bit. Oh, there's an elf. Walk a bit, frown a bit. That's, walk. Geez. That's just your walk on a Sunday morning, Phil, you're talking about. Good God, it gets me proper grumpy thinking about stuff like that. <laughs> it's just like, you know, there are there are far better subjects to make films about than little shire people walking for 65,000 years. That's what it felt like to go and drop a ring in a fire. <laughs> Look, if the proclaimers can Suddenly do it, got in, an Uber. if the proclaimers can do it in 500 miles, <laughs> I second that emotion. Thank you very much, Japan. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, you know, all, all joking aside, they are, you know, the, the the fabulous films, the first three Lord of the Rings films, because and the only ones I can comment on, but they're just too bloody long, and in my opinion, haven't aged well because they're staying in a hotel a year or so ago, and uh, the second or third one was on, I thought Return of the King or Two Towers, I think it's Two Towers. Oh, yeah, it's I just not... come back from New York. Don't do that. They don't say that. I've just come back from New York. It wasn't. Oh, was it really cold? Was it really cold that? I'm sure it was. Was it? Jesus, that's tasteless. That man. New York was twin towers. This was two towers. Oh, all right. Got to split hairs. Um, but I just I thought, oh, I haven't watched this in ages. Put it on. I'm just like, nah, I'm out. It's really, it looks naff, it looks overdone, it's just over-egged. It was of a time. But but that is that is the same of any film which is heavily reliant on CGI. Yeah. yeah. You look at the first Avatar, you know, we I know we've mentioned the first Avatar before, and and I know from a freeze frame 4K 4K technical uh, 3D mumbo jumbo, it looks phenomenal. But it doesn't when you look at the rest of the film. Mm. It just it just looks like unfortunately, the technology that they use to make Avatar is the technology they use to make TV adverts. And Avatar now looks like a TV advert. And you know, I've got nothing against James Cameron. He's written he's written and made some sterling films, okay? But I've got to chuckle that Avatar 2 has knocked off the uh top of the film chart after only what four or five weeks what was it knocked off by brain block two techs talk amongst yourselves i can do, edit do, this do, area do, 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 do do dear listeners can you hear phil's brain cells knocking together yes that's him trying to think so it was knocked off the uh, top by uh, Knock at the Cabin, the M. Night Shyamalan-Lamely Ding Dong song film. Really? That's got yeah. not great reviews. That's good English again. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but irrespective of whether its reviews are very good, it's not exactly a blockbuster, is no. it? And it, it wasn't designed to be a blockbuster, but it's kicked. Um, yeah. Well, Jesus. Avatar's actually gone down to third. What's number two? (laughs) (laughs) Who is number two? Who does number Uh, two work for? 
it is a a film that when you watch the trailer, you want to bleach your eyes. Um, and it's called Eighty for Brady. Um, it is a group of friends made it their lifelong mission to go to the Super Bowl and meet NFL superstar Tom Brady, starring oh gosh, Jane Fonda. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't laugh that hard. Lily Tomlin, <laughs> Sally Field, <laughs> and Rita Moreno. So I think oh, the eighty, God. I think the eighty references their average age because I think Jane Fonda's eighty-five now. Um, yeah, Jane Fonda is. Someone yeah, just she... came up with a name, and they shoehorned a story and script into that, didn't they? But but that is that is how most pictures go nowadays don't you it's it's it, it's like titanic meets spongebob squarepants <laughs> tie pants <laughs> tie pants yeah um that, that, how else how else do they come up with with film specs now you know it, if it's not if it's not a marvel film or a let's put it into a superhero no, let's call it a Marvel film because the way the DCEU's going at the moment, <laughs> they'll be they'll be lucky if they get one film out. Um if it's not a superhero film and it's not a sequel, what is it? It's a film this would probably be the sad truth. Someone is gonna do this. AI will write a film. Oh well that chat G Yeah, that's it. Chat G- G- yeah, yeah. That- already done already done it. Already done it. Yeah. You know, they they they, they, if you look at the top 10, and, and apologies, I've only got um, the American chart in front of me, but it's Knock at the Cabin, which is Nem Night, Shamalama Ding Dong. And we all know that he's very, very derivative. Yeah. Uh, 80 for Brady, which is definitely a pitch. Um, Avatar Way of Water, which is basically just a rehashing of Avatar 1. Uh Oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. I don't even know who these guys are. I do a little bit. BTS, yet to come in cinemas. Um, (laughs) I hope not. (laughs) Dirty old man. Um, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. I'm I'm quite interested to see that one. That's a pitch. Of course Uh, it is. a A Man Called Otto, which is a remake. Yes. Uh, Megan, the one we've discussed, which is a pitch. Uh, missing, which is a pitch. Um, woman goes missing, they use social media to find her. Oh, goodness. Uh, the chosen, which I have no idea, and then Pathan, which I have no idea about. Um, yeah, nothing, nothing marginally original like uh, Banshees of Inisherin, visible, uh. Which is, by the way, going to be very hard to beat as film of the year. Well, I'm mean, I, I'm interested. We're trying to go and get to see the whale. I'm really interested to see that one. That'll pop up on Disney at some point, very very quickly. Um, Brendan Fraser. I, I'm really really excited to see that one. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I hope it lives up to the hype. Mm. I really do. Yeah. Right. Well, Anywho. let's. Uh, Let's start closing it down. Take us uh, take us all the way to night-night time, Dan. Dear listener, are you comfortable? Are you relaxed? Now is the time for us to say night-night. 
have a cup of Horlicks, put that special rug around your knees. It's a goodbye from me. And it's a, the scratching of the window is in your mind. Sleep well. Night night. Bye-bye. This has been a One Grump or Two podcast production. Thanks for listening.